Hello, and welcome to the Hope Brooklyn Weekly Sermon Podcast. Hope Brooklyn is a community of faith in Brooklyn, New York, that believes wherever you are in your spiritual journey, there's room at the table. Thanks for listening, and enjoy this week's sermon. Listen, if you've lived in New York for longer than a minute, then you know keeping the husband, the children, and adding a dog is a miracle. It's by grace alone. Also, if you have a shed, according to that announcement, I don't want to talk to you about the tent. I want to talk to you about the shed and how you managed to have a backyard and a shed in New York City. Pray with me. Father God, what an honor and privilege it is to be able to gather as your people in public and open to be able to speak about your word. I pray, Father, that you would anoint the word spoken with your Holy Spirit and that your spirit would do that which we cannot. That no preparation, no clever phrasing can do what the Holy Spirit comes and changes us. May we hear the whispers of God today. In Jesus' name, amen. So you're in a series at the moment Story time with Jesus, I believe. Yep, story time with Jesus. And so I'm going to read you today's teaching text. It's Luke 18, 9 to 14. You can follow along on the screen. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. It's one thing that you need to know if you're new to the Christian faith or need a bit of a reminder or refreshing. There's, there's one thing that you need to know right from the outset about Jesus. Jesus came and fulfilled ancient prophecies, not expectations. This is a really important thing because people had been waiting for the Messiah to come, expecting that everything that they had culturally hoped for would be fulfilled in this man. And yet he honored the prophecies, the ancient prophecies, while completely annihilating the culture of his day and age. Over and over, he turns the world upside down. The stories he tells transfer truth, cut through cultural values and belief, for example, the prodigal son. We all know, if not the actual story, at least the theory of it, or the, the philosophy of it, that someone goes away and then comes back and is received with great joy, even though he, he left under bitter circumstances. Jesus did the same thing with his life, the Samaritan woman, seeking out a woman who was considered dirty, beneath seeking her out and saying, actually, instead of the people who have been perfect, at least perception-wise, 
I don't want them to carry the truth. I want the person who is broken and has been broken to carry the truth. Uh, so to, on this outset, we have to make sure we have the same definitions. Definition of righteousness or righteous. Acting in accord with divine or moral law, free from guilt or sin. Morally right or justifiable, arising from an outraged sense of justice or morality. So what we're looking at really today is a person who did everything to make sure they were free from guilt or sin. This is the human problem, right? We're wanting to be approved. We're wanting to have approval. We're wanting to be accepted. And we have two approaches to this. We either approach this from the outside in or the inside out. Outside in, I will do everything right so that I can be right, that I can gain approval. Or the other way, inside out, of knowing that the approval only comes from God. The Pharisee wanted moral righteousness. Moral superiority. He trusted in himself and was proud. See, it's this thing of what you do being versus who you are. The problem that we've created is that we've lost who we are in what we do. Just me? Anybody else? Yeah? In New York, so much of New York tells you, I am what I do. And there's very little interest in who I am. I've said this before, it's not new to anyone who's heard me preach before, but you can't, can't really count it as a sermon if you haven't quoted C.S. Lewis, so I'm going to do that right now. <laughs> Prostitutes are in no danger of finding their present life so satisfactory that they cannot turn to God. The proud, the very, oh, God, grief. <laughs> Variousness. The self-righteous are in that danger. What are you hungry for? Approval, glory. Question we have to ask ourselves is what is our motivation? Shame, shame avoidance. This hunger for approval and acceptance is so pervasive in our lives. I've become acutely aware of this in the last little while because I've been interviewing for jobs. Let me tell you, it is no joke. I, I turned 40 next year, so all of a sudden I'm competing with people who are at least a decade younger than me for the same positions. I walk in and I, I don't know if you know this, but in New York, saying I work for a church doesn't really translate well when you're trying to work for not a church. Great if you're trying to work for another church. Not so much when you're trying to work for a fine dining institute or a hotel. And here I find myself trying to validate and value my life, trying to act, uh, attach a, a transactional value that I can say, if you take me, you get this. How can I, how can I explain to you that 20 years of my life have been worth it? and will matter to you and your company? How can I lie in just the right way? Resumes, 
They are not white lies. We've had this hunger for a verdict to be spoken over us by somebody outside of us since we were kids. That hunger to be told, you're so brave, you're so smart, you're so fast. Such a good drawing, incredible artist. And as we get older, you're so beautiful, you're so talented, you're so skilled. You're powerful, you're desirable. In the end, what we're wanting to hear is that we're enough. We started naked and unashamed, absolutely certain of God's approval. And so we lived free. When we decided to be our own masters, this changed. And that is the problem of righteousness. So let's look at outside in living. The first thing that we notice about it is that we externalize things. Our understanding of sin and virtue is completely focused on behavior. If I do all the right things, I will be good. It's only focused on what other people see around us. The second is that it separates us. In verse 11, it says, The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed. The translation is ambiguous and it's intentionally so. It's by himself, about himself. He stood separate. Now, I want you to interact with me for a second. You okay with that? You can do it? Great. I love the feedback. Thank you. Our church is very quiet a lot of the time, so, so it's, it's nice to hear some voices out there, especially with the bright light. Okay, so... I'm going to say a few phrases and I want you to imagine a particular person or just a personality type, an archetype, a stereotype, whatever it is. Imagine along for a second. An entitled woman. An arrogant man. A presumptuous guy. Smug. Conceited. Egotistical. Now, I want you to imagine or attach a face to the phrase kind-hearted, funny, gracious, authentic, generous. You don't have to raise hands, but feel free to. How many on the list of negatives attach that to everybody other than yourself, like the mirror did not come into play, <laughs> or apart from people that you love and admire? But all the good phrases you attach either to yourself, to your mirror, or to people that you really do cherish and admire. We separate ourselves from this idea that any bad exists inside of us. No one is all good or all bad. See, we have this idea about sin, that it sits outside of us, and that if we can avoid the people who sin, or avoid sin itself, it won't affect or taint us in any way. It's like carbs. If I can just stay away from carbs long enough, I will get the results I want. Hashtag keto. <laughs> Gluten, butter, 
carbs. This is a apple frangipan tot from Being Kui. Yeah. Uh, you know, as I love good food, delicious food, uh, Being Kui was awarded the James Beard Best Baker. Uh, so you know it's going to be good. If I can just avoid having this, if I can just separate and distance myself from it, I will not sin. We treat sin like a diet that we are on. If I can just hold on long enough, if I can just lent this thing out, I'll be good. And then we cave and stuff our faces with the thing we're trying to avoid and all of a sudden our identity is found in our failure and an inability to be able to say no to the thing that's been our temptation all along. Instead of understanding that our sin is in fact a cancer it's birthed inside of us. It's a rebellion of our own selves against the one who created us. Jonathan, are you a Bianchoe fan? Shall? No? There's also a chocolate almond croissant. Anybody want to participate in sin right now? Yeah. Which do you want? Take your pick. French upon tart, up for grabs. Good. Let me tell you, sin tastes delicious. For those listening to the recording, that was in reference to an actual almond croissant, not sin <laughs> actually being something that we want. Stay away from people and places that don't share my values or follow my rules. I became aware of this when we were in North Carolina visiting my parents and a friend of theirs had a boat and said he'll take our family out and we went out and this guy was amazing. He was military and police, he was in the, the um, Marines Reserve and the police reserves all at the same time, just such a good guy, treated my kids with dignity and respect and engaged with them and shared his military experience which my eldest son was just like, uh, and more. Took us to the shooting sites where they practiced water tactical maneuvers and went and collected bullets out of tanks that they'd blown up. And then the subject of Trump and gun control and teachers having firearms came up. And in a second, when this man said to me, it's about time we arm the good people of this country. I wanted to jump off the boat and walk on water. <laughs> Why? Because he was different from me in a way that I didn't want to be associated with. Because this man that I had respected so much in the way that he treated people and spoke about God and spoke about his church and his community and invested in it, the second he said something that was so mind-blowing to me, I didn't want to have anything more to do with him. Separating myself from the thing I consider sin. The last is, uh, oh, it's actually great. I won't give you the title of the book. Uh, if you see the author's name, you may have read the book, but this is, again, church, so I'll try and keep it clean. Uh, Mark Manson says, people get addicted to feeling offended all the time because it gives them a high. 
Being self-righteous and morally superior feels good. Right? Thirdly, cultural favoritism. Here's the funny thing. Okay, so the, the Pharisee starts praying. He says, God, I thank you that I am not like others. Robbers, Ten Commandments, don't steal. Evildoers, yeah, th- that's a good one. Adulterers, don't commit adultery. But then instead of just leaving it there, he adds these things that are cultural values, fasting and tithing, and attaches them and saying, not only am I doing the the things that you have required, I'm better than that. He took perfectly neutral things and elevated them to morally superior holy things. Cultural preference doesn't say I'm different than you, different from you. It says I'm better than you. We need to be careful if we are not utterly sure of who we are. If we don't feel valued and loved, we will do the same thing. Subtle little ways we'll endow neutral things into moral, with moral significance to make ourselves feel superior. Do you ever find yourself judging people superficial if they don't respond to things in the same way? It's like you sitting in a movie and the person next to you is just like crying. You're like, come on, man. And they're looking at you and going, she's heart of stone. Or or more, maybe seriously, when we don't cry or feel the emotions when we experience death that we're supposed to feel. Supposed to feel. We've elevated our preferences to superior. What we're doing is we're hoping to change ourselves from the outside in. If I can just behave in a certain way, if I can just limit my exposure to certain people and certain things, I will be this better version. I will be this curated self. If you find yourself telling people a lot about who you are, You have to ask, I have to ask if I am really that. You can't tell people, I am authentic. People know if you're authentic or not. I am hardworking, I am down to earth. Well, within five minutes, someone's going to know if that's true. Do I look at the homeless man sleeping on the train and think, my paycheck makes me better than you? I would never get to that place. How could you let that happen? We seek out evidence that others are worse than us to prove that we are good. We either ignore the evidence of those better than us or seek to align ourselves with them, compete with them, compare with them. Again, C.S. Lewis, pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next man. It is the comparison that makes you proud. 
the pleasure of being above the rest. Only the element of competition, only, sorry, excuse me, once the element of competition is gone, pride is gone. Kind of a good uh, thermometer reading, if you will, so to kind of take the temperature of your heart on this, to see where you're at. It's to ask the question, how do you handle criticism? That one was hard to write down. I don't like people telling me I'm awful. How do I handle, how do I receive criticism? Because if I know that I am loved, if I know that I have approval, then criticism is something that moves me along, not something that breaks me down. How you handle it is a good indication of where your approval tank is. This Pharisee said, I thank the Lord that. In this moment, he's supposed to thank the Lord for his goodness, for his mercy. But instead, he turns the praise that's supposed to be upward, inward. I thank the Lord that I am not like other people. And instead of listing the mercies and the goodness of God, he lists his own. If you've, if you've heard this before, please bear with me, but I think it's something that sticks and is, is it's true here again. Is in Psalm 23, the, the psalm says, Surely, it's, I will follow after the Lord. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of our life. So you're walking, following after the Lord. Your goodness, your mercy, God, thank you, thank you. Praise, worship, adoration. And goodness and mercy begin to follow. People begin to see us as authentic, as loving, as kind, because we're following after Him who loves us most. And our human nature and human inclination is to go, goodness and mercy, yes, please, I'll take some. But what happens to goodness and mercy when we start chasing after it is it vanishes because they are a result of following our king, not our king turning around and following us because we're doing goodness and mercy. Outside in, inside out. Goodness and mercy come after following. God will never turn around and start following us when we're doing goodness and mercy. Jesus has this point over and over again, the prodigal son story, the same thing. The good man is lost, the bad man is saved. So two ways that we try and be our own savior. We either break all of God's rules or try and keep all of God's rules. Watchman Nee put it this way, according to the Bible, the works of the flesh are of two kinds, though both are of the flesh, the unrighteous, and the self-righteous. Just like, dude, drop the mic and walk away. Neither the unrighteous nor the self-righteous are depending on God's radical grace. Spoiler alert, end of the story, end of the sermon, it is by God's grace alone. 
Religious people don't know that they're avoiding God. So then how do I deal with approval addiction? By living inside out. See, the tax collector shows us a new way of repentance. He says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Now this translation is actually a little deceptive in that the translation shouldn't be mercy on me, a sinner. He's not putting himself among other people. He's saying, have mercy on me, the sinner. He's not comparing himself. How often do we say like, well, my sin's not so bad compared to so-and-so. At least I'm not like such and such. I didn't do such and such. He's saying, God, have mercy on me, the sinner. If you want to understand the gospel and be changed by it, you have to be able to acknowledge that we have always wanted to be our own saviors. We want to put God in our debt and we don't want to be indebted to him. There has to be a part of us that admits, or we have to admit that part of us wants to look down on other people. So, how do, so then what do I do? I repent of the motivation that has been driving me my whole life. We acknowledge that there's a new way of finding approval. In this sentence, God have mercy on me. Normally, mercy is translated in the Bible from the word ilias, compassion. Have compassion on me. But in this particular verse, it's haleskomai. And Haleskomai is a tone for me. Anyone have a car here in New York? Or had a car? Or driven a zip car? Or, and you got in the fine, right? <laughs> I mean, we can't all be Catherine Barnard over there. <laughs> but the difference between these two is... It's not about lowering your standards. It's about paying my penalty. So you get a traffic fine or you get a ticket because you parked somewhere or the sign was down or for whatever reason, you get a ticket. And the difference between these two translations in mercy is the one I go to the court and I say, please reduce this or squish it or do something. Make it less. Make it less burdensome on me. Have compassion on me. And the other is going and saying, here is my friend, he's going to pay this in full on my behalf. That is what he's asking. He's not asking for lesser conditions. He's asking that Jesus pay for them. Pay the price. As Christians, we need to know that he has paid the atonement, and it is his atonement that gives us approval. Inside out cannot be faked. Inside out living cannot be faked. I am tall. I cannot fake that I am not tall. There is nothing, at concerts, let me tell you, I have tried at concerts, you, at shows, you're like, you just know that moment where you're going to go sit down in front of someone and they're going to be like, oh, got the tallest. I can't fake that I'm tall or oh, I'm not tall. We cannot fake that we believe that we are truly and utterly loved. You don't act to be loved. You are because you are loved. Bucket lists are a funny thing with this. 
right? Like we collect all these things that we want to see, places we want to go, food we want to taste, and we check them off and we post it on Instagram and we measure our success of life in experiences collected. But how many of us have on our bucket list, I want to be a more kind person? Or I want to give dignity to people around us. Because in the end, when you die and people stand around, they're not going to be standing around talking about, man, did you see that bucket list? They killed it. They absolutely killed it. They're going to be talking about who you are who you were, how you made them feel about themselves. And sometimes in the process, look, I am all for experience. I love a good experience. And it's oftentimes in a good experience that something in us changes, shapes us, molds us, changes the way that we see the world. But if we're only collecting experiences, we continue to have this outside in, hoping that the outside is going to change something on the inside and it will never happen. Not in a way that is lasting. Entertainment will only restore us temporarily. This is a little bit of an aside. But do you think like Jesus' bucket list was walk on water, Magician bread, dine across and then come back, water to wine. Like, I have a weird imagination with this kind of thing. I want to read you something by Brene Brown. I, as I said, I'm turning 40 in January. And so I'm thinking a lot about, like, decisions made in the first half of life and, and what I want to do in the second half of my life. She wrote this, in my late 30s, my intuition had tried to warn me about the possibility of a midlife struggle. I experienced internal rumblings about the meaning and purpose of my life. I was incredibly busy proving myself on all my in all my different roles, mother, professor, researcher, writer, friend, sister, daughter, wife, so much so that it was difficult for any emotion other than fear to grab my attention. However, I do remember flashes of wondering if I'd always be too afraid to let myself be truly seen and known. But intuition is a hard thing, and until recently I'd steamrolled over most of my heart's caution signs with intellectualizing. Do remember flashes of wondering if I'd always be too afraid to let myself be truly seen and known. Do you know that that's terrifying? To be seen without curating what image people see. So maybe you can do this with me for a second. If our lives are so hustled and so rushed, let's pause for a second and be quiet for a few seconds and see what whispers in your heart of who you are, of who you want to be.
My question with this uncomfortable silence is, does the critic scream before the father gets to whisper? There is always outside-in stuff hiding in your inside-out life, always. Sometimes we have to still enough to hear the father's whisper. So wrapping up, 10 signs that you are living outside in, self-righteous. Number one, I love to be talked about, but don't deal well with criticism. Two, I interrupt others a lot. Guys, this is New York. If you don't get your sentence in quick, you're not going to get a chance to speak. There is an incredible dignity given to people when they don't have to rush to get their words out because they know their story will be finished before your mouth opens. I keep shouting at my kids all the time, words or food, you can't have both in your mouth at the same time. <laughs> and I think in some way it's the same thing with when we're with other people. Their mouth open or your mouth open can't be the same at the same time. Three, I believe I am better than others. Four, I go out of my way to be right and cannot admit when I am wrong. Five, I think my status is more important than the contribution I make. Six, I despise the weak. Look down on those who are weaker than me. Seven, I have a half, hard time self-reflecting and maintaining close relationships. See, because close relationships require that I be seen and known, the good and the bad. And relationships that appear to be close, but really are not, can only be maintained for a certain period of time. Eight, I consider people, sorry, it's supposed to be I don't like, I consider people I don't like as enemies or threats. Nine, I shield my inferiority with acting superior. Ten, I show false charm, but beneath it exists some cruelty. This is not hopeless. Anybody like, ooh, that one was just a little too close to home. <laughs> He's offering my croissant back. Guys, this isn't a, a self-flagellation like, I am the worst person on the planet. Yep, yep, this is all me. This is saying, let's recognize where we're at so we can turn to the Father and receive the love and the validation that we're craving from every other source possible. This is a hopeful thing, not a hopeless endeavor. So then how do we change it? Number one, be grateful. Be grateful. This is a discipline. We have a new rule in our house. If you complain about somebody else's privilege, you get some of their responsibility. <laughs> the 
this was birthed out of us getting a dog, and my one son is the owner of the dog, and so there was much complaining about how come he gets to walk the dog, how come he gets to be the first to hold the dog. It's like, great, guess what your job for today is going to be? Cleaning up poop. We often compare other people's highs with our lows. Be grateful. Not like the Pharisee. I thank you that I rock. It's not how gratitude works. Outward focused. Second, love God. Third, love others. The prayer team before was actually talking about loving God, loving others as, as being something that they'd spoken about this morning. And I love that it was kind of like a little wink of like, see, I got you. But when, when the Bible speaks about loving others, it speaks about as you love yourself. If you have not accepted Christ's love, you can't do that. If you have not sat in the Father's presence and heard Him speak about how absolutely in love He is with you, how delighted He is in you, just as you are, how you bring joy to his heart. It is very hard to love other people when you don't feel loved yourself. We push it away. I think we're uncomfortable to be loved without doing anything. When you love people from the outside in, you become bitter. When it's a transactional thing, you're grumpy. Look, I'm an introvert. I can't be around people all the time. But there is a joy in giving of who I am to those who are around me. Closing up with a quote from C.S. Lewis, do not waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. As soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets when you are behaving as if you loved someone, you will presently come to love him. And this sounds like outside in. It's not. Because C.S. Lewis wrote it. <laughs> and because if you've read anything of his, you know that there is absolutely no part of him that believes in outside in living. But sometimes inside out living is a discipline. Being grateful is a decision. Showing people that they are so important. There's a, a restaurant that I absolutely adore in Seattle, and their entire philosophy, their mission statement, their agreement that you have to sign as an employee is this, to prove that putting others first is worth it. Patrick O'Connell, who's been a restaurateur and chef for 40 years, said um, last month at the Welcome Conference, restaurants have replaced churches as places of restoration of people. May this not be true. May we love people so much. May we love God so much that there is no doubt about who we are and about who He is. 
There is a deep longing in us for permission to slow down and be imperfect. So I'm going to read this text from the message as a closing prayer and then pray. Meanwhile, the taxman slumped in the shadows, his face in his hands, not daring to look up, said, God, give mercy. Forgive me, a sinner. Jesus commented, this taxman, not the other, went home, made right with God. If you walk around with your nose in the air, you are going to end up flat on your face. But if you're content to be simply yourself, you will become more than yourself. Father God, I pray that we would be those people. We would be those people that start by seeking out your voice. That your voice would be the one that tells us that we're accepted, that we're loved, that we have your approval. And then, God, may people around us know that you are good and they are loved because of how we treat them. The places inside of us that have been shaken up and twisted around today and, and feel like, man, I just, I don't know how to do better. I, I don't know how to, how to not keep up this front, keep up this facade. Would you come and first and foremost bring healing by your Holy Spirit? This is not something we can stop or control, Father, by trying harder, working harder, doing more. It's a, a relenting, a giving up, a surrendering to you. It's a placing you as a priority in our lives and setting everything else to the side as we look at you, as we hear the Father's whisper before we hear the critics scream. Please come and do that, God. Would you reignite joy and hope and, and a, a freedom that comes from knowing it is not us, it is not by our strength, it is not our performance but it is you, you have paid, you have atoned, you have forgiven. Make that so true to us, so, so real to us today, Father God. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son. Amen. Thanks again for tuning in to this week's sermon. To find out more about the mission and ministry of Hope Brooklyn, details about Sunday worship and brunch, to subscribe to our other podcasts, and lots more, visit us online at www.hopebrooklyn.org.